The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Shoutouts this week to Brian and Alfred, our newest monthly patrons, and to Hasidic Ninja, who is our newest yearly patron. That's right. You, too, can become a yearly patron. It's a simple set it and forget it. While you enjoy all the bonus content and all the material we share with you each and every week, you can find out more. You can become a yearly patron right now today at patreon.com slash major spoilers. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this here issue, 2022 brings us the family Madrigal, takes us back to the Matrix and makes us wonder exactly what universe this trade paperback takes place in. Uh, something, something, old Lang Syne, let's get this Studebaker on the road, because the Major Spoilers podcast is going to bear left. Right, Frog? And it's on the air. Welcome to issue 958 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. Oh, Mark welcome Nelson. back, everyone. Our first Major Spoilers Podcast of 2022. Got a lot of things going on this year. My goal is for us to hit uh, uh, 1,000 episodes before the end of the year or by the end of the year. So by the time we hit 2023, we'll be well into the 1,000s of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So now's the time to get on board. Uh, Matthew's here this week. Rodrigo is here this week. I know last week a lot of you were uh, hoping for a major spoilers podcast, but it was the holidays. There wasn't a whole lot going on. Uh, Rodrigo didn't have HBO Max at the time. And so it was just like, eh, let's just punt uh, all of the shows uh, last week and let everybody just recharge their batteries and relax. And then Rodrigo sent me an email said, oh, I uh, got HBO Max. Uh, or at least he, <laughs> he saw the uh, Matrix uh, Resurrection. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, later in the show, and we've got trade paperbacks uh, this uh, coming up as well. But uh, first, something that I think took a lot of people by surprise. I mean, it was released in the theaters, and then it finally uh, hit the Disney Plus on uh, December 24th, and that is Encanto, the latest uh, Walt Disney Animations uh, story, animated film, and uh, about the magical family, the Madrigals. And uh, I think I have watched it. In fact, we watched it again today. Uh, just before showtime, because the uh, youngest, the sidekick, uh, he's mm -hmm. 10. Uh, but he was like, Dad, did you know that Bruno is hidden in the background of this one scene? And I'm like, really? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, we played it again. It's like, sure enough, there's Bruno dancing in the background. But we're not going to talk about Bruno. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, we're going to talk about the entire movie. Uh, Rodrigo gives a rundown about what Encanto is all about. So uh, Encanto is the story of, uh, as you said, the magical. Uh, madrigal family which is an extended family who live in colombia uh, out in rural colombia in a magically mm -hmm. like sort of a, 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 a magically protected village um, and each member of the family has a special power except for uh, our protagonist mirabel who uh, 
uh, has to deal with the fact that she doesn't have any powers uh, and also with uh, basically the the struggles of really each member of the family um, and and how they see themselves, especially as all of a sudden their magic starts to fade. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. That's kind of what the what the ensuing what the what the kicking off incident is. And a little bit maybe like um uh what was the one from a couple of years ago that uh, makes us all cry the about Coco. The, Coco yeah uh about the family pressures that come mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. and are handed down the line so you know the abuela is just like she seems like she's nice enough but man she puts too much pressure on every member of the family to ensure that they are maintaining their proper status in the community and that their magic is perfect. And Mirabelle is, uh, really looked down upon because she doesn't have any magical powers. And that is, that's what ultimately causes, uh, the, the magic to fade for everybody is, is how fractured the family has become because of the, uh, the grandmother just really putting on, uh, too much pressure on everybody and everybody finally yeah. cracking. Yep. So, uh, Matthew, you had a chance to watch this too, right? What, what were your thoughts? Yeah. Um, it's weird to me because, you know, I am a huge fan of stories with superpowers, mm-hmm. but as I, as I was watching this film, I was kind of watching it in like a non representational sense where I didn't necessarily think of the quote unquote magical powers so much as what they represented. So sure. like in, you know, instead of looking at it and going, Hey, Louisa has superhuman strength. She's the big sister who thinks she's responsible for holding everything together. And, you know, you, you look at the thing where Dolores, everybody has the quiet cousin who doesn't say anything, but always knows all the gossip. And it really, really struck me how realistic and how approachable all of these characters were, you know, and you get to the point where, uh, Tia Peppa has, uh, clouds above her head come on everybody has that aunt who comes in and she gets mad and you just know and she carries the mood with her it was mm-hmm. really really fabulous and uh the kid will not stop singing the music oh yeah it's just really it's really every, catchy um yeah. and if you, know, you didn't know if you didn't film so disney films usually kill the mom this is like a whole matrilineal <laughs> family oh no this is good that everybody's there yeah um if you didn't know that uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda was doing the music in this, there are the first number, which introduces the family Madrigal. Um, when I was listening to this, I was like, wow, this really feels like I'm watching one of Lynn Manuel's pieces sure. uh, or listening to his music. It just has that, that pop and that flavor. And I kind of just kind of brushed it off, not knowing that he had done the music in this. And then when we get to, um, who's the older sister, Louisa, when we get to her song, the drip, drip, drip song, I was like, oh, no, this is totally a Lin-Wen Manuel song. And I then had to look it up to to confirm that, yes, he did the music. <laughs> and then by the time you get to Bruno, the Bruno song, you're like, oh, yeah, this is totally you can feel the influence of his oh, yeah. style permeating the entire music in, in this piece. The other thing that I will say about the music is that I've got a good audio setup here in my office. I got some very nice speakers. You know, everything plays well. Um, I've got a very nice sound system on, on the, uh, the movie theater, not so much in the, uh, in the living room, but regardless of where I've watched the Encanto movie, the music sounds so much better on the, when we're watching the video, than when I'm playing it back through the computer, uh, sound system for whatever reason, it just seems 
a little more flat. It doesn't have the pop that, that I hear when I'm, uh, it, it sounds like I'm listening to a stage production recording when I listen to the, uh, the, to the soundtrack of this. I don't know if you guys have had the chance to meet Matthew. I don't know if you've had the chance to do that. If, if your kid's constantly uh, no, singing the, or not, the only thing that I've heard is my kid and oh, okay. you know, my kid's got a really good voice, but yeah, we've changed the, the name of the song for, we don't talk about uh, Bruno to our cat's name. We don't talk about Mojo. No, no, yeah. no, no. So it still works the same way, but, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I really like this. So Rodrigo, I saw you popped online on Twitter last week. So with some from takes from the cultural perspective on, on this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm not Colombian, right. Um, I'm Mexican. So, um, but, but there are some, some similarities there. So one of the things that I was talking about is that, um, uh, one of the characters, um, Isabella, um, her, her arc is, I have to always be perfect, sort of outwardly perfect. And her power is like creating flowers. Um, and then she kind of has this moment where she's like, what if I just made whatever I feel like making? Um, and so she goes from, uh, making roses and other similar flowers to making like cacti and palm trees and stuff. So she kind of goes from mm -hmm. making uh, flowers that were imported into Colombia, right, to making native Colombian fauna, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can read into that. You can say, like, well, it's like those, that idea of perfection is a is like a European, like, colonial idea of perfection, right? Mm -hmm. And where, in fact, like, true Colombian perfection is actually at least a synthesis, if not a, a return to, um, to, to, like, pre-Columbian ideals. Um, or perhaps if, if such a thing is possible, post-colonial ideas, right? So um, there's a lot of that in, in, in Kanto, a lot of stuff that you can read into it. Um, and it's largely because, the, from what I've read, the team really, really immersed themselves in Colombian culture. Mm -hmm. uh, Lin-Manuel and, and the musical team just like completely spent like a year in Colombia like absorbing every piece of music that they could get their hands on so it's a very well um a, a very well advised and and very well researched movie um that really i think does a lot of justice to that sort of latin american stuff again mm -hmm. i'm not colombian so colombia uh, somebody from colombia might have a different view but from what i've seen most colombians are down with it as well yeah 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 the one thing uh, so one reviewer which i was like Obviously, this reviewer who gave it a bad review mm -hmm. wasn't paying attention at all to anything about this movie because uh, the reviewer said something to the effect of uh, some um, some unknown country in in uh, South America. And I'm like, what? Uh, number one, Colombia is written on the side of a building in yeah. many of the scenes. Number two, there's a whole song where they talk about Colombia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's just like, how can you not know that this is Colombian? Uh, the does only he, thing that does he not he, know that Colombia is a real country? Maybe he thought it was the university. I mean, this is a big, I mean, this is a big reviewer. I'm not going to name names, okay. but I read that and I was just like, are you serious? And it, it, I, I was just like, I was at a loss for this. Now, maybe he has no heart. Uh, the boy watched uh, Encanto and he was just like, yeah, I don't know why you guys are crying. This is a boring movie. And I was sure. just like, okay, so you're, you're, you, you have no heart. Um, 
the only thing that was, uh, again, it's not a big thing for me, but the one thing that I was kind of trying to place is what kind of time period are we looking at? This obviously had to take place somewhere between like maybe the 1820s and 1870s, I want to say, or, or no, because it's, it's certainly not modern because they don't have any, you know, modern conveniences that you would find post like yeah, civil it, war type stuff. It's, it's tough to place for a lot of reasons. Just like Coco was hard to place mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the two main reasons are first off, um, in other countries that aren't the United States, culture moves a lot more slowly, right? right? right. In the U.S., like you can tell, like within a decade, people have completely changed the way they dress. But in other mm-hmm. countries, they don't. Mm-hmm. And especially once you move away from the cities, much less so, right? It's like when you see the people in Encanto, there are still people in Colombia who live and dress like that, yeah. Um, even today, right? So that's mm-hmm. it. It makes it difficult to place. Um, I want to say it is like late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, uh, because Colombia has had a very, a very tumultuous history. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, just like every, basically every uh, Latin American country, um, you can't even like because the the characters end up where they end up because of like political violence right mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. um yeah. so uh they are refugees basically yeah um but it's hard to place exactly which um even if you delve into colombian history there are like right. a handful of major incidents that you can be like okay well this was probably like this um this like uh liberal versus conservative like coup takeover thing that caused a lot of problems and that was in the like late 1800s so maybe that's it or maybe it was this other thing so it's it's kind of hard to place yeah the 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 only yeah that was the thing is because i don't know really anything about colombian history was that i didn't know if them fleeing to the community that they were in Mm -hmm. uh if that was a metaphor for the creation or the formation of you know colombia as people know it you know if there were a bunch of people that had fled refugees from a country further north and had come here and this is where they settled because the mountains were protecting them and all of these things. That was the thing that I was just like, Oh, that that's interesting take if that is the case. But I was like, surely that's me reading something into it. That is not, not the case. See, I was thinking like mid 20th century because my first thought was there was a civil war at like the end of the 1800s. And then you figure, uh, abuela's kids are babies and now they're like 45. So I'm thinking, (laughs) don't know about that. this is like 1946. Well, I thought they were. I mean, if you look okay. at Ma, no, it they okay. So I've seen. Uh, I watched the movie several times. Yeah, and Abuela says, 50 years ago, this candle yeah, gave us that's this right. home, and her okay. kids were like newborns, right? So right. actually, the triplets are 50. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So the triplets are 50. So yeah, that would okay. put it like to me, like 1945 to 1950. But even then, I don't know that it matters. It, it's tough to tell. Too <laughs> it, it because, doesn't, but. Uh, like Lin Manuel Miranda's uh, lyrics are like just violently anachronistic, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's sure. like, a- and also all of the musical styles range from like classic, like folklore styles to uh, modern styles, right? So it's like you can't listen to the music and be like, mm-hmm. ah, this places it here, right? It's like, like 
Luisa's song is reggaeton, which is a very modern style. And also she mentions the Titanic and it's like, should we oh, yeah. see that as a historical reference that this happened after yeah. the Titanic? And it's like, mm-hmm. no, because it's in the middle of a song. So you right. can't like the same song measure mentions like Hercules and Cerberus and uh, also the Titanic. So it's like, do we know when this like, <laughs> is it somewhere between these two things or post these yeah. two things? It's the year, it's, uh, the year it's 300 to... and yesterday. Yep. Yeah, that would, that would be interesting. I think we've watched this probably, I've only, I've watched this probably about five times. Yeah. I think um, we've seen it three. Yeah. I'm sure that the, the youngest, so, the sidekick, he's probably, probably seen it about 10 times because he'll latch onto something and just not stop watching. So, uh, so it's your, uh, it's your oldest that thinks that. Yeah. He has, old. he has no heart. He, he's I don't, just, I don't think that it's that he has no heart. <laughs> here's, here's the thing about Encanto. Not much happens in Encanto. Right, right. And that like, was the reviewer who couldn't realize that this took place in Colombia. He's just like, this just isn't anything like any other Disney film that's out there. And it's kind of boring. Yeah. So if, like, if you look at the three of us, just the three of us on this panel, mm-hmm. there's a lot There's a lot here for us that is not the plot necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm Latin American. There's a lot of stuff there for me. Um like you guys and like might like and enjoy Latin American music and culture. That's there for you guys. Um, you guys all come from, uh, like from families, right. And from extended families. Um, so the extended family nonsense is, is like, is there for you guys. Right. Right. And it's like, um, or like you come from blended families, right? Mm -hmm. Like from, uh, diverse families from families that are multiracial. So all that stuff is there for you as well. Um, and you know, it's like the idea of like having a responsibility within your house or having, or being the X type of kid in your house is like, you are much more in, like aware of that as an adult where you've had time to not be that for a while. Mm-hmm. And then go back and think about like, oh yeah, as the as the oldest, I always had these responsibilities. Or as the youngest, like I was like spoiled, or I was actually forgotten all the time. Like they would just leave me at the store, and I had to walk back because <laughs> there were so many of us. Or like whatever, you know. It's like Encanto has a lot for, uh, it has a lot for you. Whoever you are, it has a lot for you. But it's almost certainly not in the plot, which is basically. Uh, like bad things are happening and it's because of the family and then the family reconciles and bad things stop happening. Right. 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 It's basically a long fight between it's, it's a long family therapy session. Yeah. I was, I was talking to, to, to my wife about it and it's like, if this wasn't a Disney movie, it would be a movie that takes place over Thanksgiving Hmm. starring like, uh, Jessica Biel and like (laughs) Bradley Cooper. Yeah. And like they have to like reconcile like the whole family over like one Thanksgiving holiday or whatever. Right. It's like that's what this movie actually is. But because it's Disney, it has like hugely bombastic um, musical numbers and wacky special effects and magic. Oh, yeah. And uh, Stephanie Beatrice just like blasting off the show. Yeah. Oh, God, that it, uh, freaks me out. What does? 
Stephanie Beatriz's real voice. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm used to the Rosa voice. And, you know, that's another thing that I love is there's a lot of, hey, it's that guy wonder in here. Oh, absolutely. Because I'm like, hey, that's Fez. Hey, that's John Leguizamo. You, you know what made me feel really old? I was watching, like, just random videos to, to mm-hmm. see what people were saying about it. And there was this video where a guy was like, yeah, so I couldn't place, like, Mirabel's dad. And then I remembered. And immediately I was like, oh, he's going to say Fez. It's like, mm-hmm. it's Handy Manny. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this kid is 20. Like, that yeah. 70s show, like, yep. it's like to him, that 70s show is so long. So as to us, how long ago the 70s were when that 70s show came out. Yep. 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 Right. Uh, so I, like, I think yeah, the, he's the, never seen that 70s show. The, the greatest bit of voice casting. And I want to see all of the outtakes and what wasn't included was uh, the toucan. Played by Alan Tudyk. Yep. What? I was just like, what? I need to see some outtakes on, on, because all the, the Toucan does the entire movie is go. Rah, rah. Yep. I wow. mean, they could gotten, they could have the gotten a voice. In Moana, so I think he's just playing goofy birds for a living. Maybe. May I don't know, but I was really surprised by that. Uh, I like, what, think, an, what an overcast, right? right? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Have you guys seen Doom Patrol? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the actress who plays crazy Jane was the voice of Isabella. Right. Ah, okay. And I immediately, immediately tagged her. And I keep feeling like I should know Abuela's voice, but I'm like, I don't. So uh, <laughs> she yeah. was the last thing I think she was on was in the Heights. Mm. Um, but I don't remember. I, I actually never finished watching the in the Heights for not, not for any sort of quality reasons, just kind of stopped watching it because something happened and then like, haven't gotten back to it. Yeah. So one of the things uh, that Disney used to do a lot was figure out some way of tying their movie release into some theme park ride or attraction or something. And after watching this, especially with um, uh, what's the name of the house? Uh, Canita. Casita. Casita. That's right. Uh, After seeing that, it's just like, okay, we already have the, 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 Country Bear Jamboree, if that's still in existence. That's a sit-down show where the bears come out and do animatronic stuff. We have the Tiki uh, Lounge with all the animatronic birds and the whole show with that. I think the house is getting should get its own attraction, should get its own sit-down, 10-minute, 20-minute <laughs> uh, attraction where some of the best songs from the movie are played. The house does its song and dance number. You're inside the house while it's doing all this stuff. Uh you can, you know, either have uh, actresses or uh, robots or something come out and be the parts of the characters if you need it to be that way. But I think you could do a whole show from the house uh, showing off its magical numbers to it collapsing to being rebuilt uh, all in a 10 to 15 minute uh, stage show, you know, attraction at the theme park and people would eat that crap up. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the final thought on Encanto? Uh, we loved it. It was a hundred percent beloved and that doesn't happen in my house. You got four very, very different points of view. So that to have everybody on board is pretty rare. Yeah. Uh, I think it was for the people that enjoyed it. We really enjoyed it and don't mind watching it again and again and again. Uh, so I think people should check it out. Rodrigo. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty rare for, for me to, to watch a movie and and say like there really isn't anything I would change about it about it and there really isn't it's like I kind of wish that it was a little bit longer I wish that some other stuff 
uh, had gotten more time or whatever, but mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with it, right? It's like, yeah. I wouldn't change a thing about this movie. And that's like really saying something for as judgmental judgmental a jerk as I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, listeners, if you want to talk about Encanto or The Matrix Resurrections, which we are going to be spoiling here shortly, we've got a movie channel over at the Major Spoilers Discord server. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free. You can hop into the uh, the movie channel and you can talk about this or any other movie that you want, or you can drop, in the, drop into the TV channel and talk about television shows, whatever that you may uh, want to do. I'm sure there is a channel for it. Uh, or if you're a patron, then you can link your Patreon account to our Discord server, and then you can access hidden channels that are only available to our patrons. You can find out more and how to do that when you sign up at patreon.com slash major spoilers. All right, let's talk about Matrix Resurrections. Uh, certainly, uh, all of the big talk about the first movie was how it was a metaphor for the Wachowskis in their uh, transformation uh, from uh, you know the transgender uh, mm-hmm. assignments and everything. So, you know, you can see the whole metaphor there. And so people now are starting to put, well, what is this? What is this movie really being a metaphor for? And so now we get to Matrix Resurrections. Is there a metaphor here or is this a studio was going to do it without me? uh, So I better step in and at least do do my part. And in the process, totally slam Warner Brothers, uh, you know, midway through the movie. In a yeah, big I mean, they, way. they literally say that in the movie, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It feels like this is a sequel about making a sequel to a successful property. Yeah. And the, the metatextual problems with that, while also kind of emphatically reestablishing that the original Matrix was, in fact, a metaphor for the the trans experience that the creators mm-hmm. were going through mm-hmm. and kind of hammering that point in in almost a, has everybody got that now yeah and i really i really kind of appreciated it i mean i like a movie that takes a big swing but it's this is a movie that took several big swings and kind of yelled some things that might not have worked for anyone else like that moment where our corporate overlords at warner brothers were going to make this without us I mean, that's, that's like a mission statement, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's like, here's the point of this movie. Uh, Lana found out that this is going to happen and decided she's going to be a part of it and Mm -hmm. decided to make this a movie about the process or the, the metatextual existence of that movie. And I'm just, and and maybe not just, and I, and I'm not even sure if it's yes, the, you know, let's point our guns right at the previous movies and at the studio that made the previous movies and, and their ability or their desire to cash in. But I also feel like it's pointing the gun at every major studio that says, Hey, we need to do more star Wars. Hey, we need to do more Indiana Jones. Yes. Hey, we need to do more of this. We need to do more of that and remakes and reboots and all of these things is kind of how that part plays out. I don't know, Rodrigo, is there any other metaphor that we're, that we're missing here? Uh, in, in all of this, I mean, I, there's, yeah, there's a lot of, I, I, the matrix is like the, the first matrix Mm -hmm. was really, really open to interpretation. Right. Mm -hmm. And like back in 1999 in the mainstream, nobody was thinking about trans people. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so most of the metaphors that we drew from there were about something else so much so that there are entire groups that have based their identity on some aspect of the matrix. And it's like the opposite idea, Mm -hmm. right? 
So um, I, I think in, in Resurrections, there are things to read. There's uh, kind of something about aging and like rediscovering yeah. mm-hmm. um, the who you like who you were and taking some part of that and, and carrying it along with you. Um, you know, I, I think when, when we grow up and when we age, we abandon certain aspects of ourselves. And, um, I think the resurrections is kind of like a rediscovery of relationships, a rediscovery of aspects of like something that maybe you, yeah, something that you stepped away from, Mm -hmm. um, and then sort of, find in a in a slightly different context on the on the way back is it also um, is like it also generational stuff in there but honestly i don't feel like the kids get enough time right mm-hmm. so I, I was curious if this also maybe isn't um having to deal with repercussions of your fame and the expectations sure. that come from that uh in, in that here's neo and 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 lana wachowski as well um both being thrust into the limelight for the things that they've created in Neo's case, he's created this, uh, what is it called? Binary game. Uh, that's very much the matrix, including major sequences and cutscenes that are basically from the first movie, uh, right in there. And then also you have Lana who is also, uh, having being thrust into the spotlight with, um, with the fame of the matrix and having to live up to the expectations for each and every subsequent thing that, you know, here is, here are both of these real life person and uh, character who are having to live up to the expectations of everyone else saying, Oh yes, I remember when you were the great Neo and you did all these things, do it again, do it again. And you know, that's kind of a, a pressure in and of itself. Yeah. I feel like there's a thread in there that is almost a commentary on reboots and relaunches because you do get the thing where the big villain comes back, but he's been stunt cast as the new hot actor from Hamilton. Or, you know, we've brought back Morpheus, but we couldn't get the actor. So it's a it's a different Morpheus. And, you know, there's a whole part where it looks like Trinity isn't actually Trinity. And so you mm-hmm. get this thing where, you know, Carrie Ann Moss is playing this suburban mom character. And I'm like... This is not necessarily what I feel like I signed on for. So if and when things happen that allow her to be Trinity, I, as a person watching that film, theoretically might have gone, yeehaw. So, you know, it it really did feel like they were talking about the process of making this extension and literally taking the opening sequence is almost the same as the opening sequence of the original Matrix. it, It is. That's the whole point. Yeah. Because yeah, because Bugs is watching it, and you're just yeah. like, okay, I feel like really this is a question. You know, to some degree, you can read into this. It's actually asking whether these sequels and reboots and boot launches are actually anything new at all. You know, but again, that's that's kind of in and out throughout the whole thing. And mm-hmm. you know, I feel like there's an, another moment where you know that the main villain of the piece is also kind of a stunt cast moment where you're just like, Neil oh, Patrick. yep. Saw that. Yeah. The, so, uh, kind of the, the 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 issue that I take with that is that this movie spends the first what feels like the first twenty minutes, but it's probably the first ten to fifteen minutes, just like slowly lowering an enormous lampshade onto <laughs> the proceedings, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, aren't is like, doesn't it suck that uh, 
there are all of these sequels to things and it's like here's this like uh like idea like brainstorm session with a bunch of people who are just like shouting out things about the matrix and like making it all seem very trite and everything doesn't that suck and then it just kind of turns around and does the matrix mm-hmm. right and it's like uh so a lot of people love uh the last jedi mm-hmm. um i i don't particularly because I feel like it does that to us, right? It kind of goes like, yes, like the old structures have to be torn down. The Jedi were not great. Uh, the Sith suck. We have to like do something new. We have to burn the books, mm-hmm. right? We have to we have to burn the old ways. And then mm-hmm. they save the books anyway at yeah. the end. And yeah. it's like, oh, so you just went back on it, right? And it's like, I I I feel like that happens in this movie possibly several times or or it just kind of bounces back and forth between like 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 the matrix it recognizes that the matrix was like just like this cultural flashpoint and doesn't it suck that we are sucking it dry and then it just turns around and does it kind of straight anyway Mm -hmm. um and then of course the other thing that that bothers me about it is you know a bad guy psychologist and like this weird theme of actually don't take your pills because mm-hmm. um, they're like slowing you down or whatever, and I'm like, man, that is a that is a, That's a bad take to, to roll thing. in with in 2021. Um, you know, both because of uh, how how far we've come as far as accepting therapy, and also because because of the world, so many of us need anti anxiety or anti depressant depressants. You know, just just so much more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I. Mm, I I guess it is unfortunate because that was the whole point of yeah. blue pill, red pill uh, stuff, at least here, not, not a metaphor for uh, yeah. transgender experience, but uh, yeah, it's stay, stay and be the same thing over and over again or don't. Right. Um, I was bothered by the lack of Larry Fishburne. Well, yeah. so, so a lot of people don't know this. But Morpheus, the real Morpheus, the Larry Fishburne Morpheus, is dead in that universe. Uh, yeah, you right. had to play the video game. He died in the video game, uh, which is supposed to be in continuity. So it kind of makes sense that there isn't a, a Morpheus character running around uh, in, in old makeup like uh, Jada Pekin Smith was. Um, and so the fact that they had to take a Morpheus created in another layer of. Uh, of this imaginary world and bring him up, uh, I guess kind of makes sense. And I can, I can kind of believe that's the way it went, but I can also see that Lawrence Fishburne was like, yeah, no, I'm done with all this. I, I, I could be wrong, but what I heard was that they didn't even ask him. Oh, really? That's well, I, and, it, yeah. and again, it may be because well, character uh, yeah, died in so, the, died in the video game series. So, and that's the thing. It's like, so, when you look at Star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, it was like Star Wars had the extended universe. And then when Disney took over, they were like, yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, and it has been up to sort of individual people in this new Disney era to recanonize parts of the expanded universe that they want. Right. So mm-hmm. the expanded universe basically became a toolkit um, that people can do. And then, you know, the Mandalorian basically 
picks and chooses what it what it recontextualizes and everybody loses their freaking mind because they're like yeah it's like here's this you know good solid show that's like saying yes the prequels happened yes this character like this side character that you like from here actually exists and yes it's the exact same character same name and everything except it's like played by john leguizamo um so you know whatever it's all good um and you know when when the matrix online uh came out they like promised people they're like the events of this game will be canon. What your character does in this game will be canon. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, you know, it's been like 20 years, 15 years since that, yeah. you know, or, yeah. or whatever. Um, it's like, it doesn't have to be it, like, it really didn't have to be canon. You could just be like, especially once you get into like the, the mind screw parts of the matrix, it's like, mm -hmm. Maybe that was a different matrix. Maybe that was not actually what ended up happening. Like this, this series has precedent for that sort of thing. And it's like, you could have had Lawrence Fishburne back in some, oh, form. Sure. that wasn't, right. that wasn't just clips from the old one. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it does bother me because I mean, uh, on, on some level, both of the main characters are literally back from the dead. And, yeah, exactly. you know, having having the third main character who also happens to be the primary person of color in the narrative. Uh, no, we can't bring him back. He's dead. I'm like, come on, guys. Come on. Well, that's the other thing is like in the game, from what I understand, Morpheus had like a huge fall from grace. Right. Like he basically became like a one of the primary antagonists because he just like went all in on his ideas and basically turned turned bad like turned ideological bad right right i think i think that's what happened so it's like oh. yeah within that context it's like you don't want morpheus back because he turned into a bad guy but uh when you consider the number of people that watch the the matrix mm -hmm. and the number of people that played the matrix online mm -hmm. uh, it's like two like it's like 10 times as many, a hundred times as many, a thousand times as many yeah, people right. have seen the original matrix as played the matrix online. So I don't and know. I think there might be a parallel to look at, uh, what was the character in star Wars? Saul Guerrero, um, looking at his character as he evolved. And when you watch him on the big screen in the movie, when he's really old and he's telling, uh, uh, Palpatine jr. To go and run and find her destiny. Sorry. Spoiler mm -hmm. there, everybody. Um, you're like, okay, no, who is Sal, this guy? Sal Guerrero was in, uh, Rogue One, wasn't he? Uh, he's Sal in all Sal. of, that's the thing. Uh, 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 if, uh, the Lord, not the Lawrence, uh, who was the actor that played him, um, uh, in the, in the, in the movies. Um, but the, the character is in a lot of movies because the character goes back all the way to the animated series where he's a young idealistic rebel and if you follow his storyline through all the animated series to where he ends up in the, the big movie, you're like, Oh, that makes total sense on how he ended up. Uh, oh, who he is. Forrest now. Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. 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 Oh, I didn't realize. Oh yeah. So when you follow his character arc, it's like, Oh, that makes complete sense. And I'm glad that they've at least tried to keep that consistent through all these iterations and how they've introduced him and looping back and forth through his story and his history. And I think that's like kind of the same thing here with Morpheus is maybe you do have to, and, and maybe with the Wachowskis, because they created this character, they have a bit more say on what remains canon and what doesn't. I, I don't know. 
I worried that it was like a, a William Shatner is 95 kind of thing, but I looked oh. it up. Uh, but Lawrence Fishburne is two and a half years older than Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, and, oh, that can't be. And, <laughs> and quite possibly not as busted up, right? It's like, right. Through Keanu the Matrix Reeves. and other movies, Keanu Reeves has basically destroyed his body mm-hmm. and has back problems. You know, we talked about this, right? Yep. Uh, as we were Bill and Ted in the lead up to the movie. We mm-hmm. talked about this, how like I was worried about him and I was hoping that they didn't like do any crazy stunts with him. And they don't actually Keanu spends the majority of his action scenes kind of force pushing people, mm-hmm. which is good in that sense. But also um, like why even have him fight at all? You know, it's like, I don't know, like I, I, I think about like from, you know, not a like. Like, I'm not Lana Wachowski. I'm not, like, uh, I, I'm not trying to create this narrative and this meta narrative. I'm like, why would mm-hmm. I have done? It's like, mm-hmm. I would have made it about the kids. You know, it's like, there's, mm-hmm. you know, still people running around in the Matrix, and Neo can be there because Neo, like, very clearly transcends. Yeah. Like, which I thought was what uh, the whole third movie was about was he's transcending it, to a higher level. It was right. So it's like, there's a new matrix that they did. Like, Cause that's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Neo like gave himself to restart the mate, basically upgrade the matrix and also to have peace. So you can make it about basically kids who, where there is this like tense peace, but they want to start trouble again because they know that like things can be better. Mm-hmm. You know, and just, just make it about the kids. But I, yeah. I do like that it did take a different approach to technology than the movie from 1999, right? Sure. Where if you go back and I think, Matthew, you and your family watched the original Matrix movie. I watched the mm-hmm. original Matrix about a year or so ago with the boy. He didn't really care for it. But the amazing thing was just how archaic all the technology was and all these ideas about, <laughs> you know, what is the what is the layer of technology? What is reality? You know, are we living in a simulation kind of stuff that's being asked through that? And then we bump forward to this movie and it's all about, oh, here's how AI is actually helping us in our lives. And here's how people that are in the Matrix can actually have a life outside of the Matrix. And here's how we're getting along with all the robots uh, and all these things. So it was it was a very different take on approaches to technology in this. So I didn't care for this movie. I at the end of it, I just kind of sat there and said. "Okay, I I. I guess I see what you did there. Um, of the four movies, this is probably my uh, tied for third place uh, with uh, number three. So uh, in the end, it's. Yeah, it was just it was just there. I I, I didn't care for it. I, I don't know what you uh, Matthew. What did you think? I kind of liked it. Um, I have to admit the moment uh, where uh, Frenchie McFrench was flipping out and screaming how kids mm-hmm. today just don't get it. And the rotten punks. And I'm just like, okay, that's kind of funny. You know, he's no longer in power. He's no longer in command. So everything, everyone else is oh, wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I feel like the ending really worked for me because I don't know. I, I kind of went through that thing where I watched the original and went, Hmm, what? does Trinity actually do? She's set up as this incredible, you know, badass, and Neo clearly wants to be just like her. And then as soon as he enters the narrative, she's sidelined. And I kind of like the, you know, the way this movie ends vis-a-vis her character and his, because 
you know, people will figure it out. But you do get that moment, for me at least, where you've kind of put them on equal footing, and I like that. Um, I mean, I've, I'm not a huge fan of any of the Matrix movies. I feel like the first one is really good. The second one has a sex scene I don't understand, and the third one just kind of goes off the end of the pier, and I go, okay. But, yeah, I like this as much as the original Matrix, which is to say it's a pretty okay movie, and I don't feel like I'm going to watch it six times in a row like Encanto. Yeah. Rodrigo, final thoughts on Matrix Resurrections. So the the Matrix was pretty formative for me, right? I was a teenager in mm-hmm. 1999. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoyed the first. I really enjoyed the first Matrix movie. <laughs> at, at the household, at the household after that, there was a lot of conversations for weeks and months, and probably a year after that movie came out, that yeah, it was uh, a topic of conversation. The The Matrix was formative for a lot of people. The Matrix changed the way that people did action movies mm-hmm. for a long time, basically until. The Bourne movies introduced shaky cam. Everybody was doing the Matrix, right? And to a large extent, people are still doing the Matrix. Um, I was uh, kind of joking around that it would be fun to do a sequel to 300 where they explicitly like references Leonidas' ability to speed up and slow down time. Um, <laughs> the way that in this movie, they they talk about like bullet time, like it's an actual thing. Yeah. Um, but so... I, I didn't have a lot of expectations for this one. All I can say is that um, it spends a lot of time talking. It spends so much time talking about the first movie and then just kind of does the first movie sort of in the last like 15 minutes mm-hmm. um, after it's just spent a lot of time talking about it. And it's just like, hey, remember how good that movie was? Or like, remember how this aspect of that movie was weird. And it's like, yeah, man, I love the matrix too, but like do something. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of doesn't do much except, except really just take some time to be like, Hey, uh, Trinity is important, but, but she's important in the context of Neo, right? It's yeah. not that she's important on her own. Actually, it's the relationship between those two. That's important, which isn't much better in my opinion. So, I mean, you know, if I if I was to rank the Matrix the Matrix movies, I would say the Matrix number one, and don't watch any of the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know that's kind of how I I felt even after two and three. Even after two, I was kind of like, eh, it's like I don't know. The, the, the problem with it. So I've I've talked about before how uh, the biggest problem that Terminator movies have is that Terminator Two was the most was like the best possible way to do a terminator movie mm-hmm. it was like because it's exactly the first movie except with like these yeah, wacky around. special effects and the t-1000 which is like the scariest way to do a terminator right a right. terminator that can't be stopped by physical objects right um and they've done like four more terminator movies after that and they're not as good as terminator 2 and it's like, that's, it's the same thing with the matrix It's like the matrix was very good. And then they made sequels and none of them are as good as the first one. And it's like, it, each of them might be decent action films on their own. Uh, each of them might be, might be carrying like interesting philosophical ideas on their own, but they're just not as good as the first one. And yeah. so because they're tied to it, they're always going to be in that shadow. Yeah. The one thing, the, there's two more things I wanted to say about this. Uh, number one, uh, a lot of people are like, ah, this movie stinks. Obviously, it only made $14 million at the box office. Uh, keep in mind, 
that this movie was released simultaneously in the theaters and at home and given the option of going to a stinky, crappy theater and watching it with a bunch of noisy uh, uh, jerkwads who want to ruin your movie experience, I'll stay home. Uh, so you got to keep that in mind. The thing that Warner Brothers has not announced was uh, how many new subscriptions they had over the holiday or you know how many downloads Matrix Resurrections had through HBO Max. Uh, I have a feeling that had Disney put Spider-Man day and date release on Disney Plus, I mean, they really can't. I don't know how that works. But uh, let's just say that they could. Um, I'm sure the box office results would be very similar to to what uh, Matrix Resurrections had. Uh, so I I want to kind of blow that kind of thought out of the water is you're not comparing apples to apples here. You're comparing apples and bananas uh, in this case. Uh, the second thing is just a real quick question. How many of you watched to the end credit sequence at the uh, in the Matrix Resurrections? I did watch all the way to the end. Okay. I can't remember if I did. Did I miss something? Uh, It was a, you know, a little back to the boardroom where they're like, ah, we need to take this and make it a meme. We need to have cats in the matrix. Let's, let's have cats doing bullet time. And so um, I was really surprised that there were not a whole lot of uh, cats in the matrix uh, gifts flying around. The only one that I could find I posted, but I didn't see anybody else doing that. So, Uh, you know, it's like, I I mean, that, that is a great example of like, At the end of the film, what do you go back to, right? It's like, uh, say what you want about Joss Whedon, but at the end of at the end of the end credits of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you go back to Pee Wee Herman going, ah! Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. The funniest part of the movie, right? It's like a yeah. very funny moment that is completely on brand for that movie. Yes. You go to the end credits of this, and you go back to them talking about how cool the Matrix is. Because mm-hmm. that's actually what this movie is about. This movie is about how cool the Matrix was. And that's yeah. what they go back to, right? So yep. they could have gone back to the, what is it, like the Maravindian, mm-hmm. like just yeah, shouting about the off. And shit, that yelling at the clouds. He should have been yelling at the been, clouds. Yeah, that would have been something Matrix related, like inside yeah. the Matrix related that they could have gone back to. But instead, they go back to the 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 brainstorming session, yeah. which wasn't People that are funny. Rodrigo's age, apparently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we probably ought to talk about some comic books, yeah, uh, because uh, that's what we do here at Major Spoilers. This uh, this year, as I look at our schedule, uh, I tried to do some more um, themed things for this year, and one of the things that I wanted to uh, touch on was DC and Marvel, DC versus Marvel, right? Uh, but more importantly, uh, many of the times where the big DC characters meet the big Marvel characters and go and have an adventure, which brings us to Superman versus the amazing Spider-Man from 1976 in which Superman and or sorry, Clark Kent and Peter Parker go to the world news uh, uh, expo in New York city. And they both have to take on Lex Luthor and Dr. Octopus uh, as Lex wants to commandeer the new, what is it? News Corp satellite. Uh, and he wants to destroy the whole world because everybody makes fun of him. And the two have to team up. Hooray. Hooray. And it does, you know, get it right. That Spider-Man's greatest foe is Dr. Octopus and not that goblin fellow. Sure. Yeah. It's true facts. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we uh, learned that uh, Superman's uh, greatest weakness is his high ideals. Uh, when he says... We used to be friends, Lex Luthor, and maybe someday we can be again. And it's like, nope, 
nope, Superman, never going to happen. Sorry, dude. Yeah. Sorry, dude. Um, this takes place, jokingly, they have said that this takes place on Earth dollar sign. So if you're wondering <laughs> what, what continuity this fits into, it takes place in Earth dollar sign. Because this feels like, let's take the biggest DC character, which in the 1970s would have been Superman. This is, what, still two years before the Christopher Reeve movie uh, hits. Uh, but Superman is still one of the biggest sellers at DC. And, of course, the Spider-Man, Peter Parker, is the biggest thing going on at Marvel, bar none. Um, and so let's let's put them together and have them have an adventure. And they do it in a way that these two occupy the same earth and they mm -hmm. just have never had a chance to bump into one another. And it's like, yep. wow, that is just thinking about that is kind of mind boggling, right? It's like, uh, Dr. Octopus is sitting in the jail cell and Lex Luthor is walking in and Dr. Octopus is like, Oh, it is Lex Luthor. It is me, me. You, you recognize me. And Lex is like, I don't, I don't think I know who you are. And he's like, it's me, uh, Dr. Octavius. And he goes, Oh yes, I guess perhaps I've heard of you before. And it's just like, I, I don't know if that would really be the case if these two worlds, uh, DC Marvel 76, that was the thing that, that was the weirdest thing to wrap my head around. All the amazing things that Spider-Man and Superman have done up to 1976, surely they would be very aware of one another. But right. again, it's also a different time, right? I mean, they, they kind of make a point of, well, I never get to Metropolis. Oh, I never get to New York City. I hear you're a big deal there, but, you know, we never right. really hear about you out here in the, in the sticks of, of Metropolis. And I think it also does kind of give you a little bit of a Lex Luthor is too arrogant to care. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So yeah. you could definitely buy that. Uh, the thing that's really fascinating is that um, these this story is officially, for whatever that word means, canonical, whatever that word means, to both universes. Yeah, but Earth the dollar sign. The Earth designations are actually different. Oh, really? Which for each universe? Me. Depending yeah, on Marvel if you're looking at it from the Marvel seven, side. Six four two. Mm hmm. Uh, is crossover Earth, and DC just refers to it as Earth crossover, sometimes Earth C, which is also taken. But yeah, but that's it's Captain one of those Carrots, moments, right? Where you, yeah, it's yeah. one of those things where it, it's fascinating to me. But if you actually go back and read the, um, oh God, what is it? The Infinite Crisis uh, giant thing where they're like, every single alternate Earth that ever existed. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yes, this one exists. We promise. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I get. I mean, I guess. Um, <laughs> what? Where does the forty-two come from? It, did this come out? No, forty-two would have been like the the month and the the day, right? But this is March seventy-six, so I get the idea of where seventy-six would come from. But right, that's or two. I don't. I don't know where that number would come from. Uh, I don't know. Why? Yeah, do that's they call that's interesting. Did you like this story, Rodrigo? This was pretty crazy. Uh, it is. Um, I guess I liked individual parts of the story i i i i never realized how much i needed a shot of um dr octopus giving lex luther a piggyback ride while he cackles <laughs> maniacally <laughs> like ah <laughs> well like dr octopus is like carrying him it's just great it is wonderful. um there's a there's a lot of little moments like that i i love how uh, it's just like, well, Peter Parker's a photojournalist and uh, Clark Kent is a reporter. So it makes sense for them to meet up in like the most mundane way possible at a conference. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and it's like, and even the, yeah. even the conversation between J Jonah Jameson and, um, uh, what's Morgan his name Edge. from yeah Morgan edge in the, in the bar where they're talking about their respective problems that they have with their reporters and photographers, I thought was on brand. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, again, there's a lot of like individual things that I like mm -hmm. about is when you put it all together as a story, it's kind of like, eh, you know, it's like, it's kind of a lot of superhero nonsense. A lot of time as always, a lot of, uh, ink has to be spent on why exactly Superman isn't just beating up both bad guys and just mm -hmm. take like, while simultaneously yeah. flying Spider-Man home and tucking him into bed. Like, yeah, they had to do the whole, to, uh, they had yeah. to do that whole uh, red kryptonite rays kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, gimmick. Uh, before we, Matthew, what, what is your take on this? Did you enjoy this? Well, and you have to understand, this is one of the first comics I ever read. Um, my cousin Elwood had a copy of this back in the 70s or the early 80s. And I read the heck out of this book when I was younger. So. When I come to this, I'm like, ah, I remember this and I remember that. And Dr. Octopus has glasses and, but I enjoy it up to a point. I enjoy it because in a lot of ways, this is the shape of things to come. Mm -hmm. And as much as we joke about corporate synergy and all of these things, this is a book that is clearly designed by committee. So the parts of it that, you know, are weird always come out weird because well clearly spider-man can't be shown to be weaker and right. the cover has to be this weird bizarre thing so that the characters are exactly the same size so that nobody has you know more space on the cover and it mm -hmm. just feels like the whole thing was created back and forth of a little tennis game of well now our guy needs a moment and oh then we need to do this and if super uh, we have to bring superman down and oh yeah so I feel like it's more as an adult, it's more interesting to me historically and kind of structurally than it is as an actual comic book. Mm -hmm. But I will say this, this is, this is the best Lex Luthor ever. Yeah, I do like, I do like this uh, version of Lex Luthor, although, I mean, he goes off the deep end in a super scary way. It's not just. I'm going to use this satellites uh, beam to wreak havoc on the weather system of the planet until they pay me a billion dollars, which again, 1976 billion dollars. Perfect. Perfect scheme. That's a lot of money in 1976 uh, today. Not sure. so much. Every, everybody's a billionaire today. Um, but you know, he takes it a step further and it's just like, no, I'm going to destroy the planet because they keep making fun of me. And I'm like, holy crap. And even at that moment when Dr. Octavius is like, no, but this is my planet too. You're just like, oh, Lex Luthor has completely lost it uh, in this. And so that does make him a very scary and viable villain beyond just, yeah. I've got a giant robot and I meet you again, Superman. Ha ha ha. Uh, he goes into some scary territory, I think. Yeah, he's he's definitely way, way above and beyond what you expect. And that's actually one of the horrifying moments. The other being... Uh, and I didn't know when I was nine that this wasn't, you know, flat out, terrible, bad, ripping people apart. Superman actually rips off two of Octopus's arms. Well, they're his just, robot uh, arms, right? Yeah, but they're attached to his body. I mean, they, they are literally fused to his spine. Oh, oh and okay. I remember being super upset about that. And then, of course, when Lex went nuts and decided he's going to drown the entire world, I'm like, oh, I'm scared. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess that, I mean, it gives it some real, um, 
you know, some, some gravitas, right, in, into the story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess I, I wasn't agree. paying attention that, that this Octavius has him fused to his spine because normally we just see him wearing that harness thing. Well, the harness is fused to his spine too. It's just, depending on the artist. Uh, the version we are reading is a reprint. I don't know what the, the cover price on this reprint. I'm, I'm trying to find the year that this was reprinted. This Mm -hmm. is a 95 reprint that we're looking at. Um, the cover price on this in 1995 was $5 and 95 cents. You remember what the cover price of this was in 1976? Cause I bet with as large as this is $2 and 76. Wow. Well, that's a bucks, lot. Remember, that's 10 times. I know that's yeah. And this of course was, this came out in the album size format. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got over what a hundred pages or something. So, or 90 pages. Yeah, it's, so it's got a lot and it's got ancillary material where you're like, you know, here's a page that talks about Spider-Man stuff. And here's mm-hmm. a thing that yeah. tells you about Superman's powers. But you know, you look at this, this was on the stands in April of 76. Uh, so at that point in time, it's basically 10 monthly comic books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I would buy five and six books a week, uh, when they were 60 cents and I would be like, man, I just spent a whole bunch of money. The equivalent, I mean, this is like the big save up your money and don't buy any penny candy comic book at the end of the aisle. So but I think for two bucks in 1976, yes, that's expensive. I mean, you're buying, you're putting a down payment on your home. For two dollars <laughs> in 1976, um, but man, this is—you uh, know—I'm kind of a fan of this time period of comics. I've been reading mm-hmm. a lot of detective comics from the 70s, and man, there's some crazy stuff going on there. But this stuff rocks, and I think 90 pages for two bucks in 1976. This is something you can read again and again and again. Uh, I don't know how, you know, I don't know what the split was, if it's a 50, 50 split or what the deal was, or if somebody else got all the money or they gave it to charity or what I doubt it. They gave it to charity <laughs> where, what are we talking about here? Uh, but you're right. This is very new reader friendly in that you have, if you're a Marvel person and you don't know anything about this Superman cat, here's all the things you need to know about Superman. If you're a DC person and you've never heard of the amazing Spider-Man, here's all this stuff about Spider-Man and everything you need to know. So this is something that it's like, you give to a kid who's only heard of uh, Superman thanks to that uh, Saturday morning cartoon show, and you want to give uh, your kid this for a Christmas gift. Um, this is super accessible to, I think, every level of reader in comics. I don't think that there's anything that is too out of, I don't understand what's going on kind of moments in here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, $2 in 1976 is basically 10 bucks. Yeah, that's, that's, that's about right. What, what are we paying? Like, uh, eight bucks or something for a 90 page comic, yeah. 10 bucks. Yeah. Nine ninety nine for, that, so. for a, an 80 page book from DC recently. So yeah, I feel like this is, again, this is a weird era of comics. Um, this is the first universal crossover. This isn't actually the first mm-hmm. book that Marvel and DC put out together. Right. The first one they did, I think, was Wizard of Oz or something. The Wizard of Oz the previous year. But you also, you know, you kind of look Hence at this the whole joke thing. in the comic. There's a joke about that in the comic. <laughs> yeah. You you kind of look at this and you especially if you've read the the subsequent crossovers that come out. Oh, and we is, will. Yeah. This is big time open arms. We're really ready to do this. And then in 81, they come back and then in 83, they come back and it's just like each time it feels like there's a little less goodwill from everybody involved, but 
Yeah. This one just feels like that moment of, you know, hey, uh, two world champions are raising each other's arms and now they're going to beat up the heels from both factions and uh, then somebody's going to have a terrible turn. But I do like the fact that this is very squarely in continuity because you see the, you know, the headquarters of the Injustice Gang from the, mm-hmm. J- the JLA book and Spider-Man is referring to things that are actually happening with him and Mary Jane. And I'm just like, they went to the trouble to make sure that the people who were, you know, continuity nerds in the mid seventies were also served by this book. So this is one of those rare cases where I feel like they tried to do a little something for everything and actually mostly pulled it off. Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, yeah, we're going to see possibly for, for how they randomly go to visit the Maasai people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, explain so that to weird, me, Rodrigo. Right? Huh? Explain, explain to me why they did that. Why did they do that? I don't like, know. They're, they're chasing. They're chasing after Luthor. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they have to go to uh, Africa. So they go to Africa, um, mm-hmm. and they they come across some Maasai warriors because they're just flying around, right? Superman's yeah. flying around, and like um, Spider Man is basically parasailing off of him. <laughs> um, and so they they spot some Maasai. Uh, and they come down and they're like, Superman is like, excuse me, guys, we're searching for two evil men that fell from the sky. And one of the guys like, Hey, I studied in London. So you're Superman. That's cool. Um, and then there's like a bad guy that I guess Luthor must've like empowered, or maybe it's like unrelated. And this is just some, some random part of their, he's part of their tribe that disappeared. Uh, into the yeah. mysterious hills, and so that's why everyone's afraid to go there. And apparently, this guy's so, been trapped and whatever. Yeah, so he comes out, and Spider-Man and Superman have to like combine their least interesting powers to um, to to subdue him, and then they kind of leave, right? Yeah, they yeah, just they disappear. Just it's like okay, okay, guy who studied in London with a broken arm, take care of your fellow tribesmen, and uh, we'll see you later. And we never yeah. hear from them again. And it's like, it is just like, like maybe, maybe like one of the two, like, um, right. It's like, as, as Matthew mentioned, um, stuff happens in this book that is in continuity with stuff that's come before. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if this wasn't meant to be a seed for something that's going to happen later in a Superman arc or in a Spider-Man mm-hmm. arc. Although I would be surprised if it was a Spider-Man arc because Spider-Man tends to play it a lot closer to, to New York, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, so somebody was like, okay, so what are we going to have in here? It's like, oh, we need to have like J. Jonah Jameson and this is where like the Mary Jane uh, Spider-Man relationship is. This is where the Lois Lane uh, relationship is. And uh, we we really need to introduce mm-hmm. um like big beefy here. And it's like, who's big beefy is like, Oh, there's this, is this new guy that we're going to have be like a big threat to Superman. Um, he, he's, you see, he's a Maasai warrior who was like irradiated by a meteorite or something. And he's like, cool. <laughs> so we'll introduce him here, but it's like, <laughs> it's like completely, just completely, uh, lateral to anything else that's happening in the comic. And like, I don't know if you guys remembered this happened. The only reason why I remembered that this happened in this book is because I was flipping through it and I saw it and I was like, oh yeah, 
there's this completely random vignette <laughs> in which like uh, Spider-Man and Superman just have this mini adventure in Africa and then move on. It feels like you a know? Tintin so, moment, right? Yeah. 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 It is. Man. I don't know. It's weird. I, I will, I will say this. Uh, Jerry Conway is credited as the, uh, writer of this entire thing, but I have a feeling that it was also, uh, Stan Lee, um, putting in his input as well into this. If, if I understand correctly. Um, but I think they did a wonderful job trying to bring yeah. as much of this together as they can. And we'll see how this backfires magnificently when we get to <laughs> Spider-Man Batman from 1995, uh, later this year. So there yeah. you go. And you know, they do, they say, yeah, written by Jerry Conway consulting editing by Roy Thomas, Julie Schwartz, Barb yeah, Wolfman yeah. and Nelson Bridwell. Yeah. And I'm like consulting editing basically means kibitzing and flipping a coin to see who gets to be the better superhero on this particular page. I'm sure. I'm sure. So this, this book probably had like seven writers. If you can get a copy of this, I say, pick it up and read it. Uh, I went to eBay and even these reprints are going for sometimes hundreds of dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you can get your hands on a copy, do it. I, I could not find this and I'm sure it has to do with, um, reprinting rights and who yeah, has the rights, rights to what yeah. yeah copyrights between marvel and dc this is not available on comiXology uh so good luck tracking down a copy but if you can check it out from your library most certainly do I mean, i'm sure if you find it from some other nefarious places go for that as well uh but i really 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 enjoyed the heck out of this for what it was for comics of 1976 the first big team up between these two uh, companies in their big in their big property, so that's that's for me. I give it a thumbs up, Matthew. I agree. I feel like this is one of those um, the treasury size format wasn't always used for treasury moments. You know, there Star Wars number one came out in a treasury size. GI Joe number one came out in a treasury size, and you know, a lot of weird stuff came out. But this feels like it needed the double-sized issue. And if you go, um, the last one that I saw near mint was like 125 bucks, but that's also because it's impossible to store a treasury size comic and yeah. keep it near mint. Um, but yeah, if you can get this, you definitely should. And I want to say that there is actually a trade paperback of DC Marvel crossovers that came mm. out during the 96 Schmageggy that, mm might be more affordable question mark but either way um this is a winner to me even though it is very very flawed it's it's that moment where you're just like oh my god it's the first time uh, lucy and desi are in the same room or hey look at that it's the first episode of community back when everybody was completely different yeah rodrigo you get the final final say here um i think a lot of the time when we look at old comics or older comics um, my first thought is like, what is the historical significance? And very often these comics are worth reading because of their historical significance, right? Here, uh, it's kind of a niche cultural significance. It's like, this is the first crossover of these two characters, um, I think. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, it's worthwhile for that. But this comic tells you nothing new about Superman or Spider-Man. Um, and again, other than introducing a character that I will continue to refer to as big beefy, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it really doesn't like, it's a good outing mostly for the two villains, 
um, and just spends a lot of time justifying why X, Y, or Z weird thing is happening. So I wasn't crazy about it. Um, but again, if you're interested specifically in DC and Marvel crossovers, it's something that might be worth getting, although I would not pay a hundred bucks for this. Uh, no, uh, the cheapest price that I can currently find for a quote unquote good condition of this on eBay is like $285. Oof. Yeah. And that's for the original. That's not for the reprint from 95 or a, another collection. These are the originals. From seventy six, some some well, comic book I, stuff. I can't find anything there. below two hundred for this. Wow, I, I was gonna mm. say I bet you some some comic book store has like ten of the ninety five reprints and they just haven't put them on. Yeah, yeah. online. Yeah. I bet you it's another example of that uh, inflation you've been talking about. Maybe, uh, maybe, uh, but uh, definitely, definitely, definitely go check it out. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, a conglomeration of many, many things. If uh, you miss the major spoilers uh, pre-show this week, uh, you do need to jump over to that Patreon, patreon.com slash major spoilers, where we talked about uh, our cool holiday gifts. We talked about Arcane and The Witcher. We also talked about the Morbius movie being delayed. You can get that when you become a silver level or higher patron. I don't know. We talked about quite a bit of a long time. I want to say maybe 20, 30 minutes this week yeah. on all of those things. Uh, some really good discussion there. You can find that exclusively for our patrons, patreon.com slash major spoilers, five bucks a month, uh, certainly helps us out as we try to grow in 2022. Uh, some notes for those of you listening to our other content, uh, this week we have the top five hopes for 2022. Also this Friday, uh, January 7th at 4 30 PM central time. Uh, finally Friday returns to our Twitch channel, Twitch dot tv slash major spoilers 4 30 p.m central time brian ibbett from coverville is coming on and we're going to be talking about gamifying your life how do you gamify your goals or your uh, uh your plans your schemes how do you turn that into a game brian's going to come in and talk about it that all goes down on our twitch channel this friday uh, twitch.tv slash major spoilers and that's where we're going to wrap it up for this issue thank you so much for listening thank you for being part of the major spoilers experience and as always, to be a part of the complete experience, you can give us your feedback by joining the rest of the cool kids at the Major Spoilers Discord server to share your thoughts and reactions to this and every episode. And don't forget, you can support the show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Spoilers. We will be back next week to talk about Teen Titans and also bring along a special guest host. Who will it be? You'll have to find out next time. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do, too. And we will talk with you soon. Bad the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way to think about a better way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. 
What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm stark raving rich like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Shot up in a fine bee in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009 Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2010. Major Spoilers is copyright 2011. Major Spoilers is copyright 2012. Major Spoilers is copyright 2013. Major Spoilers is copyright 2014. This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2018 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2019 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.